Hi everybody, it's Derek, and this is Foreign Exchanges for July 9th, 2021. Hello again, or hello for the first time, depending on whether you've ever listened to this podcast before. But as always, thanks for checking it out. If you are a regular Foreign Exchanges listener, then I welcome you back. It's great to have you. If you're a new Foreign Exchanges listener uh, and you like this interview, I would uh, strongly encourage, hope, (laughs) I guess, fingers crossed, that you would check out our newsletter, uh, fx.substack.com. Again, it's Foreign Exchanges. We cover international affairs, U.S. foreign policy. I've uh, got uh, columns and all kinds of nice things uh, at the site. Again, fx.substack.com. I don't want to belabor today's introduction too much because we're very lucky to be joined by a three-time returning guest, uh, Terry Ostabo. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Terry or haven't listened to his previous two uh, appearances on, on foreign exchanges, uh, he is the chair of the Department of Religion and an associate professor at the Center for African Studies and in the Department of Religion at the University of Florida. Uh, He's also the founding director of the University of Florida's Center for Global Islamic Studies. Uh, His academic research interests uh, involve Islam in contemporary Ethiopia and elsewhere in the Horn of Africa, uh, issues related to ethnicity and religion, uh, Salafism. Uh, He's lived for many years uh, in Ethiopia. He has considerable field research experience in Ethiopia. And most importantly, I think uh, he's been on this podcast twice before. Uh, regular listeners will recall he uh, was on in uh, August of last year to talk about uh, Abi Ahmed's political changes, reforms, uh, what those were doing, what those were looking like. Uh, and not long after that, uh, those political reforms in part contributed to uh, the outbreak of a war, a civil war in some sense, between the Ethiopian government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front in the uh, in Ethiopia's Tigray region. Uh, So Terry joined us again in December uh, to talk about that conflict. Uh, At the time, it kind of seemed like it had settled into a uh, relatively predictable pattern. The the TPLF had been driven out of most of Tigray, uh, the Tigray region's major towns and cities, uh, but it had settled in, it looked like, for a sort of guerrilla campaign. There were, of course, reports of uh, horrible human rights abuses, dire humanitarian situation, all of those have continued. What has changed uh, in just the last few weeks uh, has been an apparent resurgence uh, of the TPLF. Uh, In mid-June, they announced that they were on a counter-offensive and then, you know, relatively, uh, in relatively short time, uh, a period of time after that, days really, uh, they had swept back into the Tigray region's capital, Mekele, uh, and, you know, were and are now in control of uh, at least the major population centers. And it seems like much of the the region, the Tigray region, except for the western part, which is being kind of held by um, not Ethiopian government forces so much as regional uh, forces from uh, Ethiopia's Amhara region. So that's one of the things we, uh, we will hopefully talk about with Terry. Um, he's back now to talk about these, this sort of change in fortune and what it means and what we know versus what we uh, 
uh, are kind of guessing at because news, getting hard news out of uh, Ethiopia is is rough in the in the best of times and, and is has been much worse uh, under the restrictions imposed by this conflict. So we'll talk about the situation. We'll talk about um where the conflict stands and potential, uh, the potential paths it could take moving forward and uh, try to figure out what it all means for the future of Ethiopia. That's kind of a big question. I don't think we'll answer it, but we'll at least uh, talk a bit about it here. Uh, so uh, again, I'm really excited to have Terry back on. Uh, I'm very grateful that he was able to do it. Uh, and um, with that said, I will, uh, I'll get him on the Zoom and we'll get started. As I said in the introduction, I'm being joined now by Terry Ostebo, uh, who's a three-time returning champion uh, foreign exchanges guest. Uh, Terry is the chair of the Department of Religion at the University of Florida. He's studied contemporary Islamic contemporary Ethiopia. He's done field work in Ethiopia. Uh, and his most recent book, Islam, Ethnicity, and Conflict in Ethiopia, The Bali Insurgency, uh, is now available for purchase. That was the one thing I didn't mention <laughs> in my introduction, so let's get a plug-in for that right now. Uh, Terry, thank you very much for uh, coming back on the show. Mm, thank you for having me. Uh, for people who uh, haven't heard your previous appearances, although I think you know everybody should go back and listen to those, um, can you give us sort of the brief explanation as to the what sparked the conflict in in the Tigray region back in November? Um, you know the 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 rivalry sort of between Abiy Ahmed and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, and I think this is going to be important not only for people who are maybe catching up, but later on when we talk about what the future may hold for Tigray, I think you know it'll be relevant. Uh, to kind of look at why this all happened. Yeah, so the um, um, TPLF, the Great People's Liberation Front, was uh, one of the key components in the coalition that was called the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front that governed Ethiopia since 1991. And then when Abiy Ahmed came to power in April 2018, um, he embarked on, on, a, on a process um, geared toward limiting the TPLF's, TPLF's influence uh, in, the, in the coalition. And it, it kind of um, reached a climax when he then abolished the whole uh, coalition and established this new prosperity party, the PP party, in, in December 19. And since then, the relationship between that new Abiy Ahmed government and the TPLF deteriorated. Um, and uh, what really came to the fore of the conflict was when Abiy Ahmed um, postponed the national elections due to COVID and the TPLF went ahead with their own regional elections in, um, in September of last year. And that uh, uh, was the start of, of a kind of cold war between the federal and the regional governments that uh, led them to the climax in early November um, in in 2020, when when there when armed conflict broke out between the federal army, uh, supported by Eritrean forces and Amhara regional forces and the local uh, regional forces in Tigray, uh, so that was the the, the background for it. Uh, very briefly, very briefly said. 
uh, as you say, the conflict broke out in November. Uh, there was this sort of coalition, in a sense, of the Ethiopian federal military, the Eritrean military, regional forces from Amhara. Uh, initially, over the first few weeks, it seemed like they made um, substantial progress. By the end of November, they'd captured the city of Mekele, the, the capital of the Tigray region. Uh, Amhara forces had sort of uh, seized control of much of Western Tigray, which is something we'll come back to uh, here in a, in a few moments. Um, you know, it looked like things had had sort of gone the government's way. The TPLF had kind of retreated into a sort of guerrilla uh, style resistance. Um, that all changed relatively recently. I mean, in, you know, mid June, this organization, the Tigray Defense Forces, which is basically, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's basically a TPLF and, and maybe a few other kind of uh, local or regional paramilitary types. Um, you know, they'd announced they announced that they were on this, uh, they were undertaking a counteroffensive. And within a matter of days, they were back in control of Mekele. It seems, uh, you know, most of the, the major towns and uh, population centers in Tigray were back in TPLF hands and are now in TPLF hands. Were you surprised at all by how quickly things seemed to, to turn around? Um, and do you give any credence to uh, the claims that the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian government has made that it sort of voluntarily withdrew from the Tigray region and imposed a ceasefire uh, just for humanitarian purposes. Uh, you know, where do you, you come down on that? Yeah, I think um, everyone was surprised that it went so quickly. I think even include the TPLF, in fact, um, <laughs> They they did not I think and these this has been in, indirectly confirmed by the TPLF themselves that they did not expect to take Mekla that fast as they did but they did launch this this offensive called um, the Lula uh, conflict named after a famous um, um, Tigrayan um, general and it's right they they uh, were able to uh, take out. Um, large amount of Ethiopian forces um, and uh, claimed then and they actually paraded over 7,000 uh, prisoners of war through the streets of, of Mekele uh, after they have taken have taken to control. Um, and they, uh, I have heard numbers that they took out, killed, wounded um, over 28,000 uh, of, of uh, federal army forces during that offensive. And if you think of the standing army, operational army, combat forces of Ethiopia uh, is around, uh, or was around 80,000, well, 28,000 soldiers being either captured or killed or wounded is a very high number. Um, but they have been making gradual uh, strides um, in in the recent months, so um, they they have been gaining ground and and been able to to take uh, larger territories day by day. And um, but then, uh, like you said, they they took the capital. Um, I don't think they actually meant to do that. But when um, the um, Ethiopian forces and interim government then escaped or or left, then then it was uh, open territory. <clears throat> now to your question about the, the ceasefire. Um, 
Well, the TPLF themselves call it not a ceasefire, but a siege. Um, and it's kind of an interesting thing that you, you, you declare ceasefire and then you turn out all uh, electricity, means of communication, internet, telecommunication, and so on. And um, even if the federal government today and has consistently been saying that there are unfettered access for humanitarian agencies, well, reality on the ground tells us otherwise. Actually, yesterday, or maybe it was today, uh, a convoy of five um, big trucks from the World Food Program was stopped, not on the border with uh, Tigray, but actually within the Amhara region, and had to turn back to Addis Ababa. Uh, so humanitarian agencies um, have all been saying that there has been very limited access for them to, to get um, food and aid delivered to the area. So. Uh, when they call it the humanitarian ceasefire, those realities kind of speaks against um, the real content of their declaration. So um, many people say, and I think that could be true, that this is um, a way for the Ethiopian government to, to buy time and to you know, reinforce themselves, um, build up the army again and, and continue. I don't think that the... Um, the conflict is going to be over anytime soon. Right. So I, I, I do want to ask you about the humanitarian situation, but at a, at a level kind of above that, as you said, the, the, the ceasefire has been accompanied by, you know, sort of a complete effort to kind of cut off communications, which, you know, has been, uh, there've been these, these efforts to turn off the internet and shut down, uh, mobile service and and kind of block off access information access uh, to the Tigray region throughout this conflict. Uh, I wonder if you can talk just a little bit about the challenge of trying to figure out what's really going on in this conflict under conditions of such tight news restrictions and and communications restrictions. Yeah, it is extremely uh, difficult. Um, now, there are um, um, international organizations, uh, aid organizations, they do have people on the ground uh, in Integrate, uh, but they have very hard times communicating. And um, we also have to add to the picture that when the Ethiopian army and the interim government left Mekula, they actually looted several of these um, organizations' offices and took out the satellite communication equipment that was there. So um, that has, of course, also impacted their ability to coordinate activities and um, and and get and be efficient. Now, most of the um, food uh, storages are not in Tigray, but in the neighboring Amhara region. And uh, several of, of crucial uh, bridges over the Tequesta River that, um, that links um, Tigray to, to the south was destroyed. And that, of course, has also made it very, very difficult to, um, to get aid in. But the little we know is that um, there are not much um, aid or, if anything, being brought into to the... Uh, to the area. Now, to be to what we need to add also is that there is um, clear likelihood that um, 
the TDF or the Degrade Defense Forces will continue their uh, operations and try to clear out the Amhara forces um, present in the western part of the region and also Eritrean uh, forces still occupying certain parts of northern Tigray. So I think it's fair to expect that in the, near, in the, in the next days and weeks that we're going to see continued fighting uh, in the area. And, and there are fighting fightings going on in some of the southern uh, parts of the region as we speak. But again, um, these are bits and pieces of information that is coming out. And um, it's, 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 it's difficult to, to put this together uh, in, in a coherent narrative, of course. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I do want to talk about the the Eritreans and the Amhara, which are, you know, certainly related issues, but there's a, a whole context to those things as well. Um, you mentioned the bridges. Um, you know, there's there's been speculation, as you, you characterize it, that, that those bridges were cut off to prevent humanitarian aid from coming in and sort of besiege the Tigray region. Uh, I've seen speculation that uh, the Amhara cut those bridges to prevent the, the Tigrayans from crossing over into the western part of the, the region where the Amhara forces have sort of set up uh, shop. Uh, there was also a story uh, just a few days ago, the, the Ethiopian government claimed uh, that it had greenlit relief flights into the Tigray region. And then I think uh, the Civil Aviation Authority <laughs> contradicted that and said we haven't gotten any uh, clearance for any humanitarian flights. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, you know, it does, it does seem like there is an effort here without admitting it to sort of block uh, aid from getting into the region. And there are some other things, uh, you know, other human rights uh, type situations happening here. Maybe you could talk a little bit about those. We've seen a resurgence again of sort of reports of arbitrary arrests of Tigrayans in other parts of Ethiopia. There have been uh, reports of aid workers being attacked. Uh, you know, uh, Doctors Without Borders pulled out after uh, three of its workers were killed under uh, questionable circumstances. Um, talk if you could talk a little bit about that. That you know could sort of uh, you know, round out the picture of the humanitarian situation. I think. Yeah, it is difficult. Uh, uh, altogether, twelve um, uh, aid workers, both local and foreign, have have been killed during the conflict. That's the confirmed number we had, and the most, um, the latest one was, of course, the <clears throat> the killing of three MSF um, workers, one from from Spain and two local from from the from the country. Um, they were actually just executed, taken from their car and executed and found uh, in the ditch um, beside the car. So that has, of course, made it difficult for many uh, uh, aid organizations to um, to operate. Um, the um, UN officials uh, have said that, um, I think it's 133 instances of blocking and threatenings and... and um, and violence against aid workers, uh, and most of them has been committed by um, Ethiopian or Eritrean forces. I think they mentioned only one uh, was was done by the TDF. So there is a clear uh, picture here that um, people do not want to have uh, 
the government tries to hinder aid from coming um, to the region. Today, the, um, the spokesperson of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, Dina Mufti, uh, went out and said that they would allow um, uh, planes with aid to, to enter Tigray, but that they had to depart from Addis Ababa, where they would be uh, all the cargo would be carefully screened to avoid um, uh, weaponry and and others um, military equipment being shipped to the TDF, and that's the much of the narrative that is uh, on the social media and, and elsewhere is that um, the accusations are that um, the international organization is in cahoot, so to speak, with the TDF. And they are aimed at providing not only food but also arms to the um, to the Tigrayan forces. And but anyone who knows the integrity of major aid organizations uh, would immediately kind of write that off as as nonsense. But that is um, that is part of the narrative now that is being uh, put out there uh, from the Ethiopian government. That actually leads to a, a, another question, I guess. What we've sort of gotten the outside view of this conflict, and there's been a lot of international pressure on uh, the Ethiopian government to to you know halt its activities and allow humanitarian aid in. Um, but what is what's the sense, as far as you're aware, of uh, how Ethiopians outside of the Tigray region have have responded to this campaign. I mean, the TPLF, uh, my understanding at least, is it had built up. You know, it wasn't exactly operating out of a a well of good feeling with the rest of the with the rest of Ethiopia. So, is there a um, you know, are people still sort of uh, supporting the Ethiopian government, Abiy Ahmed, or is there some? sense that things have gone too far? Where's sort of the public mood outside of Tigray? Well, that, that's that's a, a very good and important question. And I think it's hard really to, um, to give a, a simple answer to that. What I know from Adesab at least is that there is a, there's a huge support um, for the government's activities to that extent that anyone who tries to voice any opposition would immediately been, be um, um, put in, in, a, in a difficult spot. And uh, when I talk to my friends in Addis Ababa, is that there is not only a kind of pressure from the, from the government and security apparatus, but also from many Ethiopians, so that there's a social pressure and political pressure, both unspoken and spoken, that uh, we need to support um, the government activities and uh, and there's a, a large buy buy-in of of the the, the messaging and, and and narrative that comes out from from the government. To what extent this is true from the rest of the country? That's a big question. I think it's fair to say that in the Mara region there's um, a strong and genuine um, support uh, for the Ethiopian government's activities and and warfare. How that is another region, I think it's more complex than, um, than, um, than in, in, in those areas. But we don't hear um, much opposition explicitly voiced um, from within the country. And that tells me at least that there is a significant pressure put on people 
um, to uh, be in line with the narrative and and um, and then um, mute all kinds of opposition that um, that goes against it. But it's also important now to think of how different issues are are dovetailing. For example, we have. Um, the issue with the dam, the second filling just started, and there's been significant pressure from the outside world and from Sudan and Egypt um, in particular. So the, um, the dam itself is a huge and very important national symbol, and the filling and withstanding international pressure uh, corresponds to you know this, this nationalist feeling that we see now uh, in relation to the conflict in Tigray, where any kind of international interference is sort of violating Ethiopia's sovereignty and being a supportive of, of government, both in terms of eradicating what they call the junta in, in Tigray and expressing support for the dam has become very strong and, and important. Uh, nationalist positions that, um, you know, it's kind of surprising to see um, how um, how uh, many people are, are, are buying into that and, and then uh, voicing their very strong nationalistic support for what is going on. Moving a little bit away from the Ethiopian government, let's, uh, what, what do we know at this point about the disposition of the Eritreans who, uh, the Eritrean military, which has been active uh, in fighting the TPLF, um, has been implicated in, um, uh, you know, most, or many, if not most of the, the large massacres that have been reported out of this conflict, um, has been withdrawing in a matter of days for about six months now it seems feels like for you know three or four or six months uh you know the, the every time somebody brings it up it's so oh, they're they're going to be withdrawing in a matter of days uh, i haven't seen much discussion of where they're at at this point now that the the tplf has uh regained so much of the region what what do we know about their status are they trying to withdraw now what's what's the situation with with the Eritreans? they are still in the region um on north northern parts uh, bordering their own country um and there are also reports that they are uh, massing into the western areas which is thought to be the, the next battleground uh, coming in there in support of the Amhara regional forces. Um, the detail that we don't, we don't know basically the details of how many and where they are and so on, but there is also um, uh, reports coming out um, that I have gotten confirmed that um, there are, they have also been starting uh, building up defensive positions uh, along the border uh, digging out trenches and setting up um, positions in order to prevent what they fear could be um, an attack or or um, or um, an offensive into Eritrea by the Tigrayan um, forces. We don't know if that's going to happen, but I, it's certainly uh, something that is is a narrative or or a, a possibility that. 
uh, is in the ears of the Eritreans. But again, like I said, it's it's really hard to to say anything meaningful of, of number of forces, um, the strength um, in relation to the um, to the T TDF. Um, but as I think it's fair to say that similar to the uh, Ethiopian army, I, I think it's fair to say that um, their capacity has been has been reduced. But again, uh, we don't know much um, to what extent and how severe that has been. This kind of gets into topics that that we'll cover in a bit here about what the future may hold. But do you, what what do you see as the possibility for a, a further conflict between the TPLF and Eritrea? Whether whether that means some kind of invasion of Eritrea or just you know border conflict? What what do you feel uh, you know is is likely to happen there? Well, uh, this conflict has had so many twists and turns, so I would be very reluctant to predict any next steps. Uh, uh, I hate to, to be a prophet in this, in this particular flux situation. I would not be surprised um, if they would uh, go into to, um, to Eritrea. I think uh, if they, they would love to see Isaias taken out. Now, um, if that would be to happen, it opens up uh, another um, box of worms of what is going to be the next steps, what kind of whatever Tigray-supported government could be put in place, what it would it mean for regional uh, stability and development. That is a very complex issue. Um, I... Uh, I think at the moment, what the the, the, the Tigrayan leadership are working on is just secure their own region um, to um, get out all what they say are invading forces and, um, and and try to gain military control over the region to protect their own uh, population and then uh, whatever way and possibility get aid into uh, the area. So I think that's the immediate thing. And But who knows? I mean, uh, they might move to Asmara sooner than we know. And, and, um, and, but it's, it's very uncertain to, to say anything definite about, about that prospect. That sort of takes us to the, the other <laughs> big issue here, which is the, the status of the Western Tigray region, which is occupied now primarily it seems by regional forces from Amhara uh, but the Ethiopian military is sort of staging there I gather and and now and you as you said there, there may be Eritrean forces uh, staging there is sort of anticipating that this is the next place uh, the TPLF or the TDF are, are going to go to try and regain uh, the entire control of the entire region um, uh, you know, the, and this, you know, goes back to the blowing up the bridges to sort of, you know, maybe partly to interdict, uh, an attempt to, to advance into Western Tigray. Talk about, uh, the background specifically to the, the hostility between the Amhara and Tigray regions or, or people in a sense. And, and how does that, what what does the the territory of Western Tigray 
uh, have to do with that? Uh, you know, I've heard that this is a somewhat disputed region. I don't know the details of that, but I, I, I think, you know, I'm, I know you can, can sort of shed some light on that. Yeah, so in, in 1991, um, when the TPDF took power and the EPRDF was, was uh, put in the government offices, um, there was, um, they, they did a, a, a restructuring of the whole country in terms of, of political administration, of you know, implementing this, um, this system they called multinational federalism, basically that um, boundaries between different states, federal states were uh, drawn according to um, ethno-linguistic um, boundaries so that you have a Mara region, Tigray region, or Amiya region and so forth. What they did, however, the TPLF uh, in the north, what that they expanded uh, the, um, the Tigray region to include an area, one of the most contested areas, the Volkite region, which is part of, of Western Tigray, which was under, um, um, you know, Amhara inhabited. And in the processes, or in the in the in the 1990s, 2000s, there would be a gradual um, um, uh, movement of Tigrayans into that area, which displaced many of the uh, Amharas that used to, to live there. So um, the Volkat question has came up from you know going back. It always been a, a difficult spot and for for the Amhara, and it, it started to come up in the in the in 2016 uh, demands that this would should be um, put under or brought back to the Amhara region. Um, there was this Volkaita movement and so on. So when the, the war broke out, um, Amhara militia, special forces, um, the FANU movement, which is a youth protest movement, massed into that area and, and took control not only of the, uh, of the contested Volkaita area, but the larger part of, of Western Tigray. And... Um, uh, we saw then a huge number of refugees that were, you know, people were thrown out uh, from that area. Tigrayans living in, in larger parts of the Western Tigray. I think the number is all, over 100,000 that were was shipped into um, the central highlands of Eritrea. And uh, the Amhara <clears throat> government has more or less declared Western Tigray as theirs um, in the way that they have removed all signs that is in Tigrinya and replaced that with Amharic signs. They have put um, Amhara officials in place of the districts and so on. So they de facto have occupied that whole the whole area, um, which of course is something that the TPLF is not very happy about. So for them, it is about um, gaining control over that area again. Uh, and uh, throwing out the Amhara forces, and then of course I would assume that they would have to. They will. The next step would then be to to um, repatriate those refugees that are in the highlands, and also um, those in Sudan, because many of those sixty thousand plus that fled into Sudan came from the western areas as the Amhara uh, forces moved in. So that is, it is likely to be um, the next step. The problem is, geographically speaking, when the bridges were destroyed, 
the axis from Mekkala to Western Tigray is a little complicated. They have to move south um, and, and make uh, uh, a, a tour that is far longer than uh, otherwise would have been with the bridges intact. And um, there are some speculations if they, were, they have the fuel enough uh, to to um, to move to the it's pretty long distance you have to move in order to take that area, and again this goes back to the fact that the region is under siege. Um, they don't have access to anything of fuel or, or needed equipment, obviously. But also for TPLF uh, or TDF um, to establish a corridor into Sudan is going to be very important, and. Um, the way things are moving now with um, the disagreement um, about the dam and also um, the contested areas and the, um, the tensions and, and conflict between Ethiopia and Sudan, put it likely that uh, the government of Khartoum is going to be supportive of um, TPLF and actually provide them with the necessary aid. So, so the movement towards, in other words, the movement towards Western Tigray is a combination of getting out um, the Amhara and liberate, in quotation mark, uh, those areas, but also establish a corridor into to Sudan. What's, what is the, to your knowledge, what is the power dynamic um, at this point between Abiy Ahmed and the, the Ethiopian government and these Amhara, the, the Amhara region and, and its military forces. If there was a decision taken at the federal level to say, uh, we're not going to contest Western Tigray, we're going to allow the TPLF to, uh, to, to you know, get, come back in and, and regain control of this region. Is that a decision that the Amhara region would necessarily be obliged to follow, or could they independently keep up uh, a fight? Again, very difficult question to answer. Uh, so this is, again, my, my take on this. Um, the, um, the Amhara regional government, uh, Quite soon after um, the uh, TDF took Mekela, came out with a very strong statement that uh, we are not going to um, give up an inch of our land, and, and every Amhara would 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 not doubt a second before they will um, join the, the forces and, and defend Amhara land and so on. At odds, one could say with. Um, the unilateral ceasefire statement that that came out. So I think it's fair to say that um, uh, Abi is allowing the Amhara to uh, and the regional forces to wage their own war in a way to keep um, his own party and the different factions together. I think that if he would have the power enough the power he would probably uh, not be as strong in trying to keep those areas so this is more of an amhara uh, sentiment and it, I, I think it points to um, how fragile perhaps um, the pp uh, is and how abi then needs to make uh, certain compromises 
with regard to the Amharam. And there has been over the last um, week or weeks or so, um, intense recruitment to the Amhara militias going in. Um, we hear stories that the district leaders are given a quota. They have to, to recruit X number of, of fighters from each district. There are videos coming out of buses being um, uh, driving up to the border filled with new recruited militias. So um, I, I think this 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 is a very uh, difficult dilemma for Abi, and I and I like I said he he uh, he allows this to happen. I think just to placate uh, the Amhara nationalist sentiment, which at the moment are extremely strong. That's in in that area. As this conflict continues, and this is a, a question you know we talked a little bit about I think last time you were on the program, but what what has the conflict in Tigray meant for other unsettled kind of flashpoint challenges, I guess, within Ethiopia? And, you know, there are, um, you know, occasionally clashes between Amhara and Oromo. There are clashes, you know, along the border with the, between the Oromo region and the, the Somali region. There's violence uh, periodically, we we hear reports of attacks on civilians in Benishangul Gumuz, which is where the the uh, Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam is is located, I believe. Um, and and you know any other you know other kinds of places where there are ethnic tensions or other kinds of commun intercommunal tensions. Um, you know, there's there, I've I've seen suggestions that this is drawn. The attention of security forces away from these other places and allowed conflicts to kind of fester. Uh, the Ethiopian government has sometimes tried to blame the TPLF for, you know, uh, intervening and in, in somehow I don't I don't know what the mechanics of that would be, but uh, sort of fomenting some of these things. But we talk about what overall um, this conflict has done to this this sort of stability of Ethiopia in in other parts of the country. Hmm. In the last few weeks, we haven't heard, um, there hasn't been much reporting of, of intercommunal violence or, or similar you know, inter-ethnic conflicts like in Benishangul that has been uh, one of the, the most severe cases. Um, but what we do see um, are indications of um, the Roma Liberation Army that is, is waging insurgency in the western parts of, of Wolega in southwest and in the southeast, that they have, um, they are gaining ground. Uh, at least that's what they claim themselves. Um, the government has not put out any much information um, to that effect, but there are constant um, uh, reporting that they are. Um, Gaining more and more territory, and uh, and I think that's that's one of them. The the one that's one movement to to keep an eye on. Um, that of course is is the OLA Oromo Liberation Army is is not similar to the TDF of having any mechanized weaponry or or um, any any similar uh, military structure. It's more of a it's more of a, a foot soldiers, typical guerrilla movements um, moving into the moving around in that area. But it's uh, there are stories that they are 
are, are gaining more recruits day by day. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that um, they could possibly be able to carve out territory under their control. The question is, of course, to what extent are they able to keep that territory if, if, um, if, if, um, if the Ethiopian army is, is moving in there and, and if they're able to um, engage in any, any, any combat with, um, with the OLA. But um, beyond that, uh, the last few weeks have not um, seen much of, of other um, of spots of, of conflict, but that doesn't mean that they're not there. It's it's often um, it it needs its specific triggering points, and I think it's likely to uh, be continuing. And and of course, if it's true that the federal army is decimated as the TDF claims, then it would be uh, increasingly difficult for the uh, for the Ethiopian government to to maintain stability and, and security within its its boundaries. There are, of course, the various um, regional forces, um, but it's also a question if if things start to unravel on the top, if uh, Abi is being unable to maintain coherency. Uh, within his party, what role could these these regional forces play? Who would they side with, and where would the allegiance go? Um, and and it, it's these are are dif different than the federal army because they are ethnically based, and um, that means that their allegiance um, are different than from um, than uh, the federal the federal army. Do you have concerns about uh, other than the ones we've we've mentioned, which is sort of the the possibility of a uh, some kind of an extended conflict between the PT, TPLF and, and Eritrea, and uh, you know the the sort of broad spectrum of tensions with Sudan? There's the border dispute. There's the the refugee situation that's been caused by this conflict. There's the dam, which you know everybody seems to be trying to solve through international channels, but is ultimately a, a fight over water, which is a, you know an existential resource type of a, a concern, and, and could easily uh, turn ugly if it if it's not resolved. Um, do you do you see? Do you have any other concerns uh, on a regional level um, that 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 you know ha have? Are are affected or exacerbated, or that that, that there's a risk uh, that this the, the Tigray conflict could could uh, affect or, or worsen. No, I, I think you know the uh, the issue with Egypt and and Sudan and and the question of water is is really uh, a very important one, and um, and it's it's really hard to predict. The outcome of that, and like you said, water is an existential issue. And then the the Security Council kind of um, put the um, the responsibility for negotiation uh, on the African Union, uh, which has not been very successful in, in in negotiating between the different parties. And and well, nobody has actually been having had any meaningful success in, in negotiating. So I think that is, is, is really, um, that is something to, to keep a very close eye on. And um, as um, we know, 
Egypt has been having joint military exercises with Sudan. Sisi went to Djibouti and talked to the, the president there. Uh, and uh, there has been, he's been active in, in diplomatic outreach uh, to, to the areas. You know, the, the, some of the, the, the good spots here is, you know, there was a recent election in Somaliland that, that um, was very peaceful and, and was uh, looked to be meaningful. The process of, of elections um, in Somalia is back on track. We'll, we'll have to see what, what comes out of it. But there are some, you know, more positive spots on the, on the eastern uh, part of the horn. But I think the, the, the areas that we need to keep an eye on is related to, you know, Egypt and Sudan and Eritrea and, and those uh, western northern border areas. Uh, and that that's going to be um, that has the potential to to really uh, to really uh, uh, exacerbate uh, the whole regional dynamics uh, in the point. Do you have any hope uh, that uh, that there could be any accountability when everything's said and done for the human rights abuses that that have come out of this conflict? Whether we're talking about uh, the the civilian massacres, the uh, deprivation of humanitarian aid, uh, you know, the blocking of humanitarian aid, um, the targeting of aid workers, uh, arbitrary arrests, any of these these uh, sort of long lists, I think, of, of abuses that have been reported. Uh, do you see any any chance that there could be uh, some mechanism for accountability for any of this uh, in the future? I, I, I do not, unfortunately, not with the current Ethiopian government. Uh, and I say this because um, there has been this constant denial of, of any uh, accountability. There has been some window dressing in terms of, I think there's four or five or maybe more soldiers that have been um, indicted and, and put to trial. Um, so from the with the current Ethiopian government and the prime minister, I do not see that this is going to happen anytime soon. And even more so uh, with, uh, with, with, with crimes committed by their trains, even, even there's a, a, a less likelihood of any accountability from, from that side. Um, I have to say that the, um, the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission, which is, uh, you know, officially uh, an independent organization, but the history been very close to the government, has proven to be uh, pretty outspoken about the atrocities happened. And that's a, that's a good sign. And, and, um, and there, there, has, there is, you know, the invest, joint investigation between the U UN uh, Human Rights Commission and, um, uh, and the Ethiopian Commission. We'll see what comes out of that. Um, uh, but, uh, any 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 sign of widespread accountability? No, I don't I don't see that happen. And if you go back to the open history, well, there has never been um, any meaningful uh, accountability being uh, been made um, in, in past conflicts either. One kind of you know one one established peace and reconciliates and and uh, put everything on the carpet and and move on. Uh, that uh, well, that that takes me right to my last question, which is, um, without trying to predict uh, what might happen, because yeah, you know, this is obviously it's 
too much in flux to, to even uh, attempt something like that. But is there a future in any scenario um, for Tigray, the Tigray region to be um, reincorporated into a federal Ethiopia in a way that isn't, you know, just outright kind of conquest and, and holding territory and suppressing uh, unrest, you know, in, indefinitely. Do you see any chance of, of grafting these two, uh, grafting this region back into Ethiopia? And, and if not, um, you know, what, what are the alternatives? What are the alternative scenarios? Oh, I think definitely there is a possibility. And again, um, there is something to be said about um, uh, conflicts in Ethiopian politics in Ethiopia, that, you know, there is this extreme polarization on the one hand, but there's also a high degree of pragmatism. So um, there is definitely a possibility as long as everybody comes out with, you know, um, not losing too much uh, face and that uh, things can be uh, become meaningful in terms of securing protection from you know each other and and so on i think it's definitely um, a possibility and we've seen that in in throughout history uh, where conflicts has been raging between regions and um, and between regions and the the, the center that you know um one comes to a point that well, okay, let's let's uh, we don't benefit from continuing this conflict. So, but also there is the possibility that it would never happen. Um, and I think the scars been made um, throughout this conflict, particularly when with the um, the action committed amongst the the civilian population, they are significant. Um, but what what would that mean? Uh, independent Tigray, that is really something that many people are talking about. Would that be something that would be recognized by the international community? Most likely not. Um, any kind of configuration where you know you have a larger Tigray, including Eritrea, also a possibility. Uh, but I still um, maybe it's more of a hope, but but um, something I believe in that there is possibility ability that um, uh, things can be mended and, and, and Tigray will continue to be um, a part of, of, of Ethiopia. If, if that was to be happen, I think, you know, there is, like I said, there are some significant scars um, and <clears throat> made upon uh, the Tigray. And so the level of trust um, uh, is, um, it's not easily going to be healed. That's for sure. Even with that uh, caveat, that's that's probably a more hopeful place than most of my podcasts end. So I think I think I'm going to stop there uh, and and kind of leave us on a little bit of an upper instead of the usual downer. But uh, Terry, thank you again so much uh, for coming on the program. Um, again, you guys should, should check out Terry's book. I'll have a link to it in the, the show description. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there will be need to do this again, uh, soon or relatively soon as this, as this continues to unfold, but, but thank you again for coming on. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
Once again, I'd like to thank Terry Ostabo for coming on the program, uh, taking us through the latest developments in Ethiopia and offering some thoughts on where things might go from here. Foreign Exchanges is going to be taking a couple of weeks off, the podcast at least. Uh, the newsletter will be taking about a week and a half off, I think, uh, as I do a little bit of uh, summer vacation. For, for once uh, take a little break um, I don't know when we come back if that'll be a subscriber only episode or an episode for the general public but regardless uh, until the next time we have a chance to interact with one another as always thank you so much for listening and take care and I'll talk to you soon bye bye